My loves, I don't know if you're like me or many of my friends or the, a lot of the people that I know, but listen, do you have a cabinet in your kitchen that's packed with supplements and all these amazing things? They're all there to support your overall health, to boost your gut, to boost your vitality, but you ended up being like too overwhelmed to even like look at it and create a routine with them that you're like just ended up skipping taking your supplements. I've been there too, honey. And this is why I want to take a moment to share an incredible discovery with you, my darling. It's called AG1. And let me tell you, it's been a game changer for me. And how I noticed that it was a big game changer for me was when me and my dad were, do were, we were doing that grief walk from uh, friends through Spain. And I got to tell you, the food was delicious, but it wasn't the best for my gut. But how I kept the gut going, how I kept boosting my vitality throughout the walk was every morning I would put a pack, a packet of the AG1 into a water bottle and I would shake it up and I would drink it. Even my dad, who's always like, here, dad, here, this is good for you. He's like, no, thanks. And granted, you know, the homie's got, you know, he's doing really well um, health-wise. And, but he's always like, nope. But with this, with AG1, he was like, okay, give me some. And he would take it. And it's, there is, it's, it's amazing when you take something, uh, you know, with routine and you start to see the results. It's like, okay, fine. I found my thing. Especially because it's just one serving that has the most straightforward way and simplest way for you to get your vitamins and your nutrients and your minerals and your prebiotics and probiotics. And honestly, why take a bunch of different things when you can just get um, all of it in, in one scoop of this delicious magic AG1 powder? into a glass of water or into the beautiful uh, water bottle that you get. This is how I start my days, honey. And honestly, if you're a traveler, they also uh, will send you, you could also get the AG1 travel packs and they're amazing. And, and every time I have a friend that comes over to the house, I'm always like, here, take a couple of these and try it out for yourself, you know? And I want to share an amazing, exclusive, delicious offer with you today. If you want to take ownership of your health, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com backslash sa. So that's drinkag1number1.com backslash sa. Um, you got that. And if you don't go to the show notes, it's there. And cheers to your health and your vitality. Hey, my love, listen real quick. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as we love creating it for you. And if you find value in what we're doing and you want to show some appreciation, we have two simple ways for you to contribute. The first one is by buying us a coffee. It's a one-time donation that goes a long way in helping us cover production costs, equipment upgrades, and other podcast-related expenses. Every cup of coffee makes a significant impact in our ability to keep delivering the quality content that you love. The second option is for you to become a monthly supporter by buying us a coffee on a reoccurring basis. By setting up a monthly donation, you become an integral part of our podcast sustainability. And we get to continue to create the content you love with confidence, knowing that we have a reliable source of funding coming in. 
And we love you for that. Listen, head over to the show notes and click the link there or go to buymeacoffee.com backslash spiritually sassy show. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com backslash spiritually sassy show. And I just want to say thank you so much to all of you who have already been buying us a coffee. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your generosity is so wonderful. And we're incredibly grateful for your support. What's up, my love, and welcome back to the Spiritually Sassy Show, where we are redefining what it means to be spiritual in the modern world. I'm your host, Sade Simone, and I'm so grateful that you are here. And don't forget, if you love the show, which I know you will, I hope you will, please rate, review, and subscribe, okay? Now, let me share a little backstory about today's episode. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine, one of my actual best friends. She has a new book coming out called Dare to Feel. And maybe you already know who I'm talking about, Alexandra Roxo. So this conversation was recorded live um, when we were, the day her book came out. So you get to participate in, in this amazing, like you were sitting in the audience with us. And then you also get to hear um, questions from the audience. To Alexandra and I, I jump in a little bit here and there to offer some some feedback. Anyways, if you don't know who Alexandra is, Alexandra Roxo is an artist, a best-selling author of her first book, which was "Fuck Like a Goddess." She is, and now obviously her second book is called "Dare to Feel." She is a spiritual teacher, a trans- and a transformational coach. She has been featured as a guest speaker on many renowned podcasts and numerous festivals and events around the world. And she's being featured in, in multiple TV shows, including two seasons of Netflix hit show, Too Hot to Handle. Her work has, has also been featured in the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, The Guardian, Nylon, and Playboy. And she's a legend, and I love her so much. And get into this episode, and don't forget to let us know how the episode has touched you on the socials. Tag us on it, and obviously, write a review about it. And don't forget, get her book. All the details are in the show notes. Love you. I am so excited for us to record this live and share this on the Spiritually Sassy Show. Yes. Really exciting. Yes, yes, yes. So what have you guys what have you guys talked about so far? Because how much have we dared to feel already? Have we touched that? Have we gone to that place yet? Well, I'd like to say so, you know, in in the groups that I teach and lead and that I participate with, I, I also really feel like I'm moving into a place of facilitation where it's just about facilitating. It's not really about me. And I want to continue that where it's more and more about creating a beautiful field for people to be able to feel like they can open, that they can be in a devotional space of prayer or ritual or embodied practice. Um, and so in those spaces, uh, I and we, a lot of women here, practice opening, feeling what's happening in our bodies, what's happening underneath the layers of physical sensation and emotion, and connecting in with the heart and the soul, like we just did a little practice of of connecting and hearing our soul and, and 
what happens when we connect with the deeper parts of ourselves, which nowadays I feel like we are more and more pulled out. I don't know what it was like before, but I, I just can only imagine that some of the statistics that we've um, heard about, like the amount of people, like I know you wrote about this in your book, in your next book, right? Like the amount of people that we're in contact with and that we all, we can't really process it. Yeah, there is a, it's called a Dunbar research and it shows that cognitively we only have the cognitive capacity of engaging and knowing 150 people. Mm. And some of us have these large social media followings and some of us have these, you know, even large group of friends. Um, and it, it, this idea that social media breeds and poisons our minds with the more followers you have, the better life you lead and whatever. There's a million ways that you can plug this like more is better mindset mm -hmm. into the mix. But when it comes to connection, when it comes to friendship, 150 is the, the cutoff. And the 150 goes from 150 to 50, and from 50 to 15, and 15 to 5. Right. And what we need to work on is the 5 and the 15. The 5 are the people who are your die hard. The people who are, will go to the deepest ends with, with you. That includes your family and your partner partners perhaps and the 15 are are the people who will uh, cancel their dinner plans to go babysit for you or take three four days 15 off to... you're supposed to have 15 that would cancel their plans you're supposed to yeah okay yeah raise uh, your but... hand if you have 15 people in your life that would cancel their dinner plans to like i don't know pick you up by the side of the road jenna great love it oh yeah we got some here but what we're looking for, what we're looking for, everyone, is the five. We the five. need the, five. the core five. The 15 are people who are like, when you're sick in a hospital, they will show up. When it's like a babysitting, yeah. uh, a babysitter emergency, they will show up. Your mother dies, they will fly across the country to meet you. Like that is what we're looking for. And then the 50 is the big bash, the big birthday bash, the, the funeral or the housewarming party. And then the 150 it's from 50 to 150, it's outside the scope of people that we're actually interacting with. It's just right. cognitively, these are the people that will like remember their faces and mm -hmm. vaguely remember their names. Anything beyond that is a complete illusion. We are physiologically incapable of processing more than that. So totally. it's really important to, as you speak about so, so beautifully in there to feel, um, I'm looking at the book. Uh, and what a gorgeous fucking book. Oh my God. It's like, I just want to print this out and frame I it. it. Yeah. I love it. And I, I think it's the intimacy that we're missing because of social media. It's something yeah. that you speak about it in the book too. Anyways, I just wanted to drop that a little bit because you, yeah, you no, called, I you called I appreciate in. that. I appreciate that because when we t think about feeling and what we're capable of feeling together and when we feel full. So the reason I brought that in is because I think sometimes like in the group that I lead in my um, in this community that is called Radical Awakenings, part of it is like when we feel over full and we can't feel ourselves because there's so much clutter, right? One of our dear friends, Ruby, wrote a newsletter recently and she said she felt like constipated from all of the intake of newsletters and podcasts and like all of the things because we can't feel it all. 
there's no way, like we can't feel all the people, we can't feel all the information. Also, we can't feel the news of not only our local community. Well, first we start with our family, right? We're feeling what's going on in our family. We're feeling what's going on in our friend circle. Then we're feeling what's going on in our neighborhood, right? And we're feeling what's going on in our city and then like our country. And then what? You want me to then feel every other country? It feels impossible. And that's yeah. where we get existentially like kind of afraid and hopeless because we can't, if we can't feel what's happening in ourselves and we can't stay here while also considering the greater picture, then we're constantly being pulled out of our own experience. So the practice I do is always like, how do we come back into the body? How do we stay in our embodied experience? Because when I'm embodied in my heart and I can feel myself, then I can connect with you. If I can't feel myself, my heart, if I can't feel that I'm actually feeling really sad and I try to connect with other people, then I'm pretending or I'm not really here in my body. A lot of people live this way. We've lived like that at certain times in our lives, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have a, a story in my book about like being called out for spiritual bypassing and using my spirituality to like not feel, to not actually do the deeper work and to just be peaceful. Because I thought that was what, you know, a spiritual person should be. <laughs> and then I realized, like, a spiritual person should be all of it because I'm human. And that's what a spiritual person is, someone who's embodied in their full humanity, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's no, even I think some of the great masters, like, they, they didn't escape sadness. Like, they actually felt more of it, right? Like, when we read some of the great teachers, they're like, oh, sadness is a part of my way of connecting to the world, of keeping my heart open. If I didn't have that, I couldn't feel the world. I couldn't feel myself. I couldn't feel past this, into the empathy and compassion that does connect us to each other. Mm -hmm. That part. I think what the what sets the, the, the great saints and sages and mystics of our time um, apart is the way that they experience their sadness, the way that they experience their grief, the way that they experience their anger, you know, it, it leads into reaching. It doesn't consume you to right. feel like you are, your feelings are special and you exist outside of of the of the interconnectedness of it all when we yeah. give super uh, um, power to our feelings they consume us and they make us feel special and this self-cherishing disconnects us from other people disconnects us from this from the world does that make sense totally because when we're we can become possessed in a way right Right. And like that then becomes its own kind of like beautiful neuroses of just like, you know, um, I was actually reading a, a piece in my book about that, where it's like we identify with it so much that then when we try to take it away, we don't know who we are. <laughs> it's like very scary. Right. If you have a certain story or a badge of awe, of uh, something that happened to you in your life and it creates a mood around you and then you you try to like get rid of that, then it's like, well, who am I without that? Who am I without that persona or that emotion that comes with that persona? And that's the beauty of transformation. And that's part of my practice is 
well, you have to sit in that I don't know, you know, if, and that's part of healing, right? So healing is that like some, we, we get hurt and then we have this sadness and we identify with that in a particular way, or maybe it's anger. And then once we start healing, it's like, whoa, there's an opening here. I don't feel as angry anymore. Like, but again, who am I? Like a great example would be me in my angry feminist phase, being angry at men, right? Like, <laughs> and then it's like, well, what happens when I'm, I let go of that? Like, I don't have that edge or that definition or that orientation in the world. And maybe I'm sitting in a dinner party and all these people are kind of in that energy and I no longer belong. I don't feel like I belong. And that's the, you know, that's part of what happens when we heal. It's like, oh, I'm no longer, I'm now an outsider to all, to anyone else who's kind of like identified with that pain, anger, sadness at the world, at men, at whatever it is, at ourselves. Um, yeah, that's part of the healing journey, right? And then you feel like, oh, great. Now I need to go find some more new friends. <laughs> But can you say more about this? Because I think this is something that a lot of people um, have a hard time. First, they think that it's not about feeling the anger and they think it's about the bypassing. Um, and I just recently wrote about this on an Instagram post. I said, um, the completely unawake people, and I'm gonna use polarizing language and simplistic language right now to just create a, a, a contrast. People who are fully unawake, right? Who are deeply in their pain body, literally like, you know, numbing out. Drugs and alcohol is part of their daily life. And not that there's something bad, it's just that they're, they just don't know how to do human without a, a, a hurtful, um, unhealthy strategy. People who don't know how to do human without a, a, a healthy strategy. Those are the unawake people, right? And then the super awake people and the full opposite, they're also, I believe sometimes, this is, this is a very um, edgy and very simplistic observation of the space because you named something. So I want to bring this into the mix. So some people are fully disassociated, the, the unawake ones and the ones, and we talked about this recently, I think, on an IG Live. And on the opposite end, we have the highly awake people who are bypassing their whole inner experience. So somatically cut off. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what you said earlier, the um, completely disconnected from their body. They, they can't feel their inner world. How could they feel within their family? How could they feel their communities and their 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 uh, uh, country? And how could they ever even, you know, comprehend or feel or have empathy for, for people who are on the other side of the world? I just want to dive back into this a little bit. Like, how do we feel What's going on for us in the here and the now in a way that helps us, not this, not this, not this, this combabulates us, but it, and it doesn't activate the old personality traits of moping and ruminating and, 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 you know, unhealthy strategies of coping. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like people could really hear how does Alexandra Roxo do this on the day to day. And I know you, t you speak about this in the book. For those of you who are just starting the book, um, so I want to yeah, we... I want to break down this question a little bit. Please see if see we'll see if you can give me the question. Like, I I kind of get what you're saying, but I'm not a hundred percent there. So give it to me, like just 
Give me a little more. I love, I love that you're, that you're, that you're uh, serving me the medicine back. It's exactly what I did. So I'm like, I don't get the question. Give me one, in one sentence. The sentence, the question is this, mm-hmm. how do we feel our feelings and in a way that they support us, mm. that they awaken us, that they are actually um, moving us towards becoming bodhisattvas or towards becoming, uh, creating an impact and helping yeah. and being a benefit. Like, how do we feel in a way that doesn't bring us down, but bring yeah. us up, even if it's anger, even if it's grief? That's the question. Well, I think this is a part of the spiritual journey where it's like, okay, I'm becoming conscious that I am feeling all these things and that I want to avoid or I want to get high or want to get, you know, drunk in order to avoid it, right? Oh, so I'm becoming conscious. I'm stopping doing that. I'm processing a bit. I'm learning. Oh, I feel sad. I feel angry. Great. Very important part of the journey. And it keeps coming back. I'm not saying that it's done and then whatever, right? You might then meet a new lover or partner. All of a sudden, you're back at square one where you're like, I don't know if I'm mad or sad or what. I don't know what I'm feeling because you're so discombobulated by that love, right? So it's not a linear thing. It's a spiral or whatever it is. A labyrinth, potentially. So so you have this experience of getting to know yourself as a feeling being, becoming more conscious. You're not just spewing your anger at people. You don't get one bad text and then you go into a dark hole for three days, right? So you learn how to You don't regulate. do that? What? <laughs> I said you don't do that. <laughs> well, come join our community to learn how to work with your emotions in a positive way. Um no, but you learn how to regulate, you know, um, you learn how to to be with your emotional experience a little bit, maybe in therapy, maybe you process it cognitively, intellectually. So the practice becomes a little bit more exciting for me when you get to make art with your emotional experience. And it, it can mean literal art, but it doesn't have to, right? Like you could pour it into poetry or you could write a song. That would be kind of a literal The other thing you can do is start to allow yourself to feel feelings in real time and wash them through you instead of clench around them, instead of try to control them and let them be a gift to the people around you in your life, right? So if you're feeling sad, so you got that text message and you got rejected and you're feeling sad and you notice that you're just starting to get in your head and just get wrapped in the story, you could text me and say, Alexandra, I need you. Are you available for a call? I'm hurting, right? And I could say, sure, or maybe I'm like, maybe later, right? But I'm in your inner five, so I'm there for you, right? So then you call me and I'm like, tell me. And if you started to go into the story, then I would know that you're kind of stuck, right? You're in the story, story, story. But we get to a point on the path, and I know you all are all capable of this, where we're able to just be with the feeling and go, I'm so sad. I'm just so sad. And I can go, I totally, I feel you. I'm here with you. And I can just listen to you cry and be with you. And you can be with the feeling without justifying it, without being like, fuck that person that texted me. They're an asshole. That's all your defense. That's blame. That is not embodied. That is not being with the feeling. So you learn how to practice being with the experience of the moment, feeling the moment, letting the moment open you. Whether it's rejection, whether it's a joy and excitement, being with it. But you don't just curate the good times and the good experiences because it just doesn't work like that. 
Because then you're not in your body. You're not in the present moment. You're in your mind. You're trying to control things. The thing is, when we don't know how to regulate our emotional experience, because let's say we weren't taught how to do that, we didn't see it modeled, we can feel like it's never going to end. If I let myself feel this grief, it may not ever go away. So what I'm going to do is make sure I don't feel any of it. And that's that I would say that's normal, you guys. Like if you're like, oh, my God, I'm so terrified. It takes practice. And what I would say, and I love, I saw this on this TV show, Shrinking on um, Apple TV, where, um, what was it, Harrison Ford's character, which hilarious that he was the shrink, he tells his um, his his client to put on a song and cry for one song a day in order to process her, her mother's death. And I thought, wow, that's amazing that that's on mainstream media, because that's a way to learn how to regulate your grief. You Create a container of time. You have a mentor or somebody that's supervising you in some way, right? You have a little accountability so that you don't cry for five days, right? And then you learn how to feel. And then you know, okay, I didn't fall into a pit of grief. And maybe you do. Maybe you have a few days that are harder or sadder. But that is a way that we build resilience. It's the same way if you go to the gym, right? It's like, oh, I'm trying a new exercise. This is really hard. I'm sore afterwards. But look, I'm building up the muscle. So because we we grew up, most of us, in like a very repressive society, uh, emotionally and kind of expression wise, we were taught a lot of times to like be quiet and sit still and not cry and not laugh, right? In class or whatever, we spend all these hours. Then when we actually are trying to be responsive to love and life, we often don't know how, right? So, you know, I hope for people on the spiritual path that and who are on a healing path that A, they don't get stuck in a therapeutic mindset that's just like, I can intellectualize and analyze my feelings, but I can't feel them. Right? Or Name that, honey. Say it loud and say it again because it's so important to be named because I'm, I'm so happy everyone's getting therapized. But are you therapizing the feelings up and out of your body or you're just you know, therapizing yourself into telling yourself a new story about the feeling, which doesn't set you free. It just creates more overthinking. And overthinking is a symptom of underfeeling. Yeah, that's a great point, right? When we're kind of stuck in the, the story, we're no, we know we're not in our bodies. We know we're not feeling, right? When our mind's going crazy. And that's what one of the things that I practice a lot is like, okay, well, can I be in, in, in this space of embodiment, space of feeling for 20 minutes, for four songs, for three songs, right? And just be with what's happening here so that when it's happening out in my life, I can be with it, right? Because like in practice, you're just practicing. Like no one's yelling at me or sending me that terrible text message. <laughs> so maybe it's like, oh yeah, I can practice and have a sad moment and have like a wild moment. But then what's happening in life? And am I able to be that deep in my heart and in my expression in that moment, right? When I'm like on the stage of my life or am I just going into blame and defense in the story and, oh, I'm just trying to keep it always peaceful or whatever it is. We all have these different tendencies. Um, 
And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different kind of path. I think this is something that you and I are both huge advocates of is coming into this embodied expressive path, but not at the avoidance of what's underneath, right? We're also not just like expressing all over and reacting, right? We're not, there's a, an element of awareness that has to be present, right? So you have to become aware first and you have to learn how to discern what's happening in your body or in a hard moment. You have to learn how to regulate. So these are different um, kind of practices and tools that one needs in order to work with emotions in a way, in an artful way in our lives where we can cry together and laugh together and yell sometimes. (laughs) Lovingly. (laughs) So important. And you named it. We can cry and laugh together because I think a lot of people think that that, you know, their in inability or unwillingness to feel their sadness and rejection and anger and fear um, still gives them the capacity to feel their inspiration and creativity and happiness and bliss. But you are just forgetting the 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 zen uh mastery tool the way you do one thing is the way you do everything your inability and unwillingness to feel the grief will propel you will it's it's the same approach towards your inspiration and joy and if you can't laugh with someone if you can't laugh with yourself if you can't like be ecstatic when you feel ecstatic and let it like move up and out of you same thing is going to be with your grief and your fear and your anger. If you can't and do your one, love you can't making. do and your love making, which is great. <laughs> so let's talk about that because that's a, that's an area of mastery for, for that I see and in, in, um, there to feel intimacy and healing the okay. wounds around intimacy. <laughs> let's shift because it's something that we all struggle with. Yeah. I I know I was talking to um, to Adriana Rizzola the other day, and I sometimes uh, I'm at the gym. And it's a little weird, right? Because of the popularity that that I, that that I have around my work. Sometimes I don't know if people are looking at me because they think I'm cute, or if they're looking at me because they're like, "Oh my God, it's Sa," and I don't know. And I'm doing this practice so, when I go to the. So famous. I mean, you know, not famous, but there's no, a little popularity within it. the space, and I, I, it's it's a very awkward way of living, to be honest. Oh. Um, feel and, that. But, feel that. Feel that, and then here's this. Here's the the reason why I'm saying this, and I told the story already on the podcast. But I just feel like for the for the intimacy, I want us to bring this into the conversation. I will take all my clothes off at the gym, and I will grab the towel after I've taken all my clothes off. And I noticed the other boys and the other people in the, in the locker room. This is at the gym in the locker room. They will. They don't take their their underwears off before they have the towel wrapped around their waist. Like mm-hmm. this fear of having your private parts being seen. And I was talking to my sister about this. I was like, how is it in the, in the woman's locker room? Like, do women get fully naked around each other? And how is that? Like, what happens in that space? So there is more connection to your intimate parts. There's more connection to your body within the a certain segment of the population. But within the... The heteronormative um, um, male-identified people at Equinox, it is so strange what happens. I know? also want to break this down culturally because I do talk about this in my book too. Like the this con- this country we both live in was founded by 
very puritanical, repressed peoples. They laid the template. They killed a lot of people. They had slaves. So they had to have be repressing so much shame and guilt in order to even ha do what they did. And they suppressed and repressed their sexuality so intensely and their emotions. These are a lot of our ancestors. Not everybody here is ancestors, but these are a lot of our ancestors walking around in this country that we now call the United States of America. So if you're thinking about it, and I love the work of um, Dr. Jen, Decolonizing Therapy, because we can't look at our feeling and our expression without thinking about all of the DNA. Like, I come from half Spanish and Portugal Portuguese people, half British and Irish. The Irish people were totally repressed and hurt by the British people. The British people, like, man, they did so much harm to so many people. I carry that in my body. I carry that wound of shame and repression. So that's just part of the collective healing that a lot of us are in. I look at that every time I see a woman opening past these edges, I'm like, your great-great-grandparents and predecessors, how many generations back? We're not able to feel any of this. If we go way back, yeah, we've got midwives and witches and healers and dancing around fire, but we have all these other generations that the women were super buttoned up. They were not probably masturbating. Like, they were not crying, like, in front of their husbands. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much repression. And it's not that long ago that people had slaves in this country. What does it take for people to shut down their emotional selves enough to do that? That's what we're working against. So when you're in a locker room, I mean, I'm thinking about these people's ancestors and these cultural texture, this cultural tapestry that these people are a part of, many of them. Maybe a lot of them are immigrants, non-Americans, whatever but they're still coming into an environment that is extraordinarily repressed. Otherwise, people wouldn't be watching porn in droves because there's such a need for people to have a place to get their yayas out because they're they're not doing it right with other humans and like the generations now are having way less sex but there there's AI girlfriends. And millions of people are downloading an app for an AI girlfriend. So it's like, it's weird times, a eh? And B, we have to know that, Sa, you come from Brazilian background, Italian, Lebanese, like it's a different, it's a different um, kind of a people, especially just Brazilian. Let's just talk about Brazilian. We have this in common, which there's so much more expression and so much more um, celebration of the body, right? Like when I was 12, I remember my aunties in Brazil looking down my shirt and being like, are your boobies growing? And me being horrified because I was from Georgia like, no one would do that in Georgia. That would be, like, creepy, right? Like, that would be something super creepy. But in Brazil, it was like, oh, this is not a problem. Like, you know what I mean? There's such a different relationship to the body and to sexuality. And so, anyway, you uh, you carry that as a Brazilian man. And I know and that's true. But what I'm naming is the fact that because I'm socialized in America, yeah. I am colonized into American way of... Re I, I'm, I'm, you know... I've been relationed into it. So because of that, I notice in my body the yeah. fear of judgment, the fear of, of all that stuff coming up. So I was like, no, enough with this shit. I'm going to do my somatic work in the locker room around Wait. people. And I don't care. And I went with my friend, uh, Shannon Aljo, the other day. And we're talking. And I started to undress. And 
I was like, okay, I'm t doing, I was like, I'm slowing down taking my pants off. Why? Because I'm afraid of what one of my best friends is gonna say about me, my private parts. What the fuck, man? No, I'm not gonna hold this back. So I just like got fully naked and I noticed how that was awkward for him. He's like, oh, fully naked. I was like, that's right. I'm practicing vulnerability. You have his ancestors too. It just like fully healed, generation. fully healed, fully healed. <laughs> <laughs> Anointed at Equinox, you know? And it's like that in all areas, right? So I was talking about it in terms of his sexuality, his physical body, etc. But it's like that for all of us. It's like if you cry in public, right? You're healing something for other people that are like, whoa. Maybe at first they're like, why is she crying? She must be dramatic. She's unhinged. Da -da 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 -da. All these judgments. But then maybe underneath you give somebody a permission of like, oh, right, she's just like a person having a hard day and not pretending that she's not, right? You're just like a guy who's taking a shower. You know what I mean? And so we get to, we get to reform and reformat these kind of cultural norms that are just super outdated, you know? Say more about it because this <laughs> is something that I, I've always loved you. You were always like on the forefront to me as a friend and as a teacher, as a mystic, within the sex, uh, sexual liberation and intimacy, um, um, you know, really merging sexuality and spirituality and intimacy and spirituality. Like, say more about this, because I know there's this information is in the book, but talk about how have you healed your own wounds around intimacy and sexuality? Yeah, I mean, I think, I'll, like, for me, my life, I'm, like, going through different classrooms of healing and awakening and conversation, and then I bring that out in my work. And so I don't think I'll ever be a person that's just, like, I'm the sexual healing girl. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> I'm going to keep moving down the line and kind of building on my life curriculum. Um, but I do think a big through line for me has been how to be a woman who can be at home in my sexuality and also be at home in my spirituality because at a young age I heard that I couldn't through the church through Christianity it was like no you can't be sexual woman you can't be expressed like that's sinful like I was given that programming from you know growing up in Georgia and like I, I, you know, I got cast this, I got typecast at a very young age at 12 as a, as a Sin City dancer with a red feather boa in like the church play. Like they totally knew. <laughs> I'm like, I was up there with my red feather boa and my black leotard and jeans. Like, I can't remember what Bible story. It's the one, um, was it Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know where they go to this, you know, like, I don't know, Babylon or whatever. Anyway, that was the programming that I got, you know, through the Christian South kind of church was just like, you cannot be a spiritual person who also has like, a, a, let's say a colorful or alive or awake sexuality. So I did a lot of healing around that in my younger years. And it's not that it's like, done or anything. But I do still think, I mean, there's a huge collective wound with most people. We're in a little bit of a bubble, you guys listening to this and who are here, but there's a huge collective wound around people um, feeling that like sexuality and a sexuality that goes beyond the norm, that that is um, acceptable in a spiritual or religious context. Like most of the traditions and the spiritual traditions and lineages come from the uh, patriarchy and there's not really space for anything that's outside of the kind of lines that they have driven in the sand. 
which is for me why I've never really picked one and gone, this is my thing, because I haven't found a space that feels like all of me is celebrated and accepted there. It's like, yeah, you can be this and this here, but you can't be this. You got to check that at the door. And that just never feels true to me. Um, as a woman, as an embodied woman, as a sexual woman, as somebody who's identified as queer or bisexual, like there's just, I'm like, all of me can't fit here. Well, then I'm not going to do it. You know, um, I do think that I hope that one day this sort of more mainstream religious patriarchal spaces will catch up and not shame people for their sexuality and allow people to be expressed. The closest I've seen in the in the United States to a place where embodied expression, not sexual expression, but embodied expression is allowed would be in, in a Christian space, let's say, would be like in a gospel church where people are singing and dancing and there's so much love and joy and expression and tears and intensity, right? But most other spaces are very in this old paradigm of always quiet, you know, mostly male leaders, um, so I think we still have a long way to go before uh, people can be accepted for being full beings with a sexual, uh, with a sexuality included in any spiritual or religious spaces. I hope that this continues to change, but I mean, it's pretty deep. It's it's crazy that it's still, you know, like that. And I it's mean, insane. I can't even imagine in middle America, we're going to like Kentucky or something like it's just going to be it's I'm a part of a, a only a particular space. Right. That I know. Um, yeah, we have a long way to go, but we're doing great. You guys, you're doing great. We've come far. <laughs> sometimes I think we've come far. Sometimes I, I just notice in my own inner experience, like how much. I still like have hangups around intimacy and sexuality and my own like embodied experience of being intimate and vulnerable with somebody. And, and now kind of segue into an, another, um, like having hard conversations, which you and I have had to have as friends before, and you would be the one to initiate. And I would be like, I don't like conflict, you know, like I'd rather put it under the rug and pretend everything is okay. Um, and I've had to have a hard conversation with my family the other day because I am lacking the mother. Um, I was gonna say I'm lacking the mother energy. I'm just fully lacking my entire fucking mother who's dead. And so I'm fully lacking that. And trying to get the mother, uh, the motherly love, the motherly warmth from my brother and my sister and my friends, and my, most importantly, the projection that I did was shifting, okay, I don't have a mom anymore, dad, you are mom and dad now. And expecting him to offer me all of it. And I went a couple days without talking to any of the, uh, any of them, a couple days, no, I went one whole day without talking to them. And you know, for <laughs> us, it's you. like, I love you. Uh, no, it's important to name it this because but for because this family, I, that's a big deal. For most it, of us, probably we go a long time. But yeah, yeah you can you go a couple months, sometimes family. a couple of year. Yeah. So for us to not talk for one whole day, it's like something is off. It feels like an eternity for our family. And I just take a moment for, to let that be healing to all of us who that's such a different imprint. This family has healed so much of what I feel like is possible for me to give my daughter because of the love that they have for each other. 
I'm talking about cuddle on the couch with your mom and dad, hold hold hands with them as adults. Can you guys imagine? Does anyone else here have that in your family? If you do, that's awesome. That's awesome. And um, anyway, I'm so glad I got to experience that with your family and I get to, and it's so beautiful. Okay, keep going. So the reason why I'm naming this, it's because I think in daring to feel, we have to dare to be honest. And unless we are honest and feeling and, and active participants in the life that we want to create, we ended up not having hard conversations. We ended up um, uh, avoiding, neglecting, bypassing hard conversations. And I think I want to hear you speak about this, the importance of having these difficult conversations, the importance of naming our experience, the importance of naming how someone's um, actions and inactions impacts our, has impacted us and how we are relating to the world. So I had gone a full day without talking to them and they're all calling and texting like, why are you not responding? We have a morning text that we, that we send to each other. And I was like, nope, not doing that. And then I, I found my center again and I was like, oh, I am just fully wounded. I'm literally wanting mom and I don't have mom and I'm expecting them to be mom and, and mom, they just can't be mom. So I named it. I got on a fall in the, in, the, in the call and named. I was like, yo, I want you to be my, I want you to be mom to me right now. So anyways, just context to say hard conversations can set us free. And I, and I know that dare to feel opens us up to dare to speak up, you know? Yeah, there's some hard conversations in that book of stories that I've had, uh, you know, that I've hard conversations that I've written about. Um, I have them often and I, I don't know, like, I also have had to say no to sometimes to say like part of, part of my tendency is to always lean in. And that's kind of a, like a classic codependent. It's like, let me fix it. Let me control it. Let me make it better. No, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it now. I can't bear the discomfort of not talking about it. Right. Um, so there's a great story in the book when Moon and I got into a big fight and I was coming there with my classic kind of... Wait, which one? Was it the one in India? In, in Nepal, yeah. In Nepal. Oh, shit. Okay, good. This is what I, exactly what I wanted. It was to open that door for story time, honey. So please do tell. <laughs> my loves, let's take a quick break from the episode because I got to share something with you that is delicious, mind-blowing, and and kind of really sweet of a surprise for me. Backstory, which probably all of you know um, by now, I have struggled with acne scars um, for as long as I can remember. And I say struggle as in, I've always wanted to not have them, you know? And of course, cystic acne is gone, which is wonderful, but the scars are there and they're deep and they are, um, they're, they're always like, good morning, Sa, how are you, darling? Nice to see you again. And I have spent so much money trying to get rid of these scars. I have, you know, literally gotten, I mean, I, it's pointless to mention, I have done pretty much all the things available under the sun to be able to change the the texture of my skin to be able to say goodbye to the acne scars for me for me because for you if you think i don't look cute with my acne scars uh it is a reflection of the quality of your mind uh, okay let's just put that into perspective for a second so anyways 
I get sent, I get sent a lot of products all the time. People that want to participate in a podcast, people that want me to talk about their products. And I'm extremely fierce about the brands and the products that I talk about because I have to be a trustworthy source for my community, my students. And so anyways, I have uh, I have found, no, this product found me and I'm so glad it did. It's called One Skin. And the product's necessarily not built for acne scars. It's built for a variety of other different benefits, uh, which I don't need them right now, or I don't think I will need them because I'm fine um, with the way my skin is aging. However, if you're interested in transforming your aging process in a way that is healthier looking or more relaxed looking or whatever it may be for you. The point is, I want to share with you this product founded by four female PhD level longevity scientists with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of aging. The product that I'm holding in my hand right now is called One Skin OS One Face. I wash my face and I put this on and I put sunscreen on and that is all. And in one week, honeys, I swear to you, it is wild. The, comp the, the complexity now, the texture of my skin is changing so much. I'm like, this can't be true, you know, because I always dream of a product like this. But hey, now it is here, you know. And unlike most skincare products on the market, one skin works deeper than the surface level. And it's designed to promote healthier skin from the inside out. And check this out. In an independent 12-week clinical study, OS One Face, which is the product that I'm holding in my hand, the product that I'm talking about, demonstrated uh, efficacy by strengthening the skin's barrier and significantly reducing visible signs of aging. In the study, they were able to have these epic results. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. And 95.5% of the people who were in this, in this study in this clinical trial experienced improved firmness. One Skin is for everyone that wants to prevent or reverse the signs of aging with groundbreaking approach. One Skin addresses skin health at the molecular level targeting the root cause of aging so skin behaves, feels, and appears younger. It's time for you to get to experience a new skin health routine. And I'm offering you, as a listener of the podcast, a 15% discount when you use code capital S-A-H, my first name, you should know by now, at oneskin.co. That's 15% off at oneskin.co with code S-A-H. And it's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. And the code is capital S-A-H. And enjoy, my darling, because we only have one body, one skin, and only you can choose to make it better. Age healthy with one skin. 
My loves, I don't want to take too much time away from the episode, so just a quick break to give you some delicious information and something that's really exciting me. Listen, we have launched the Somatic Activated Healing Membership and the benefits that the members are sharing with us is so delicious. They're saying it's reduced depression and anxiety, reduced physical pain and sluggishness. I can't even say that word. Increased a sense of resilience, increased joy and inspiration hey we love that improved physical health and energy levels improved mental health and clarity and it's deepened their connection to authenticity and self-expression so all this is a dream come true because i've always wanted to be able to have a sacred school meet temple meets dance floor so all of this coming together that's what the somatic activated healing membership is all about it's helping us Take responsibility for what we're carrying and time to say goodbye to the emotional baggage and time to say hello, open heart. Because, you know, the body keeps the score, as we've heard this. The body holds the imprints of our past experiences. And unless you have the tools and the time to process your painful experiences as they happen, it leaves an emotional residue alive in your body, which then turns your body into inflammation, then turns your mind into chaos, therefore closes your heart. Listen, and I've gone through this experience of carrying emotional baggage, a massive heavy load for so much of my life that it was like making my body, I mean, the symptoms were wild, chest pains, cystic acne, gut issues, depression, anxiety, addiction, suicidal radiation, you name it. All of these things were symptoms of unprocessed emotional baggage. So in the Somatic Activated Healing Membership, you have access to a multitude of practices, including the ultimate mind-body spiritual workout, which is what you're seeing me in the doing that that looks like a, a, a sort of a regular dance practice, but there's an entire mathematical process happening behind, which I can't wait for you to experience it for yourself. In the membership, you also have access to um, guided meditations, master classes, spiritual talks, courses, and live Dharma workshops with me once a month. Maybe I forgot to say this, but there is somatic activated healing method practices every single day live with teachers from all over the world, honey. And these are epic teachers who I have certified myself, so I fully trust them to deliver this message, to deliver this method. What we also have in the membership is a community page where you get to engage with other members. And we also have weekly inspirational prompts to get you going. So with the whole thing, this entire, you know, uh, uh, dance floor meets temple meets sacred school, the combination of all this together will give you the support to have a robust and foundational spiritual practice that, will, that could literally radically change your life. And you've heard the members, what they're saying, that it's working. So take it from what they're saying, honey. In any case, I love you very much. I hope you keep enjoying the podcast and... We're giving you a seven-day free trial to the membership. So get in there. The link is in the show notes. And um, I hope I get to see you on the dance floor. Big love to you. Peace. Well, you know, I won't... The, the, the whole story, you got to read it in the book. But anyway, Moon and I, we had just come from this, like, beautiful uh, Buddhist tantric initiation 
super deep meditation state with a high teacher, Lama Zopa Rinpoche, um, who's now passed, but incredible teacher. And I was just feeling so on my spiritual high horse. Like I was just so tapped in. I'm in, I'm in Nepal with my best friends. I'm just really on this high, high note. And then Moon and I got into a huge fight, which you got to read, read about in the, in the book. Um, and I just got so, I got so uncomfortable that she wouldn't talk to me. She goes, we're at the top of this hill in this monastery and we're trying to get down the hill and there's no cabs and, you know, there's no way down. And I'm starting to get like a little anxious. I'm tired. It's dark. I'm like, well, Moon, what do we do? What do we do? And she just snapped at me because I was getting a little anxious, right? I was kind of hovering in her. So she snapped at me. Um <laughs> with love, right? She was just kind of like, girl, back off. And then I was like, don't you? No, you didn't, you know? And I like kind of snapped back at her. And and then she went storming off down the hill. And then I went storming off down the hill. And then I it hit me. I was like, this is ridiculous. What are we doing? So I was like, hey, get over here. What are we doing? And she's like, girl, give me a minute. So then part of that was me wanting to have a hard conversation and just like face it. But part of it was like, I was very uncomfortable with the silence and the quiet. And so that's something for people to note, right? It's like, sometimes a hard conversation is really wonderful, but sometimes it's because we're, uh, we can't sit with ourselves in the discomfort. We don't know how to be with the feelings that are there. So we just try to fix it, put a bandaid on it, you know, all of that quickly. So you have to kind of learn where you lie on this spectrum people, because, and for me, it's different in different relationships. I saw with you, I leaned in. I've had other relationships where I'm like, I, I do not want to get into a conflict with this person. They freak me out when they're when they're mad. I will avoid it at all costs, right? With you, I was like, okay, it feels safe to be like, yo, let's have a hard conversation. With Moon, I was like, this feels really safe. Um, and we had it. We had hard conversations for like the next 24 hours after that fight because there was some stuff under the surface that came up. Um I'm a huge proponent of those conversations. Have I become better and more artful at having them? Yes, over time, right? Like the blame, oh, and I've even, I it even comes out sometimes with my partner and then I hear myself and I'm like, oh my God, that was so lowbrow. I just blamed. I know blame is not allowed in fighting. I can't say you did this, right? Like I know that's not okay. I know I have to say like, I feel really scared when you do that. I feel really hurt when you do that. I'm feeling really angry right now, right? And it's really hard to learn how to fight well. <laughs> but but it's part of the practice of being in our bodies, being with what we're feeling instead of hopping out into the other person's experience. Like with, with my partner, it will happen sometimes where he's like, you know, I noticed that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hey, instead of noticing all of my psychological defects, could you... <laughs> could you just tell me how they make you feel, right? Instead of pointing out the things about me that are, you know, still like being crafted by life. Could you, could you show me the impact? How do they impact you? Right. And that's more productive in a fight. It's like, wow. You know, when you do that, I feel this classic nonviolent communication. Right. And then we can feel that impact of like, oh shit. Like I didn't know I was causing you pain. Oh, I don't want to do that. Right. So, yeah, but I think more and more the world we live in is is like we're avoiding more and more and going into our phones and moments that are awkward. We look at our phones instead of look at each other and go, oh, I'm feeling awkward, right? 
in moments where somebody kind of just nicks us with something, right? Like with a word or a phrase, it just like this small little, you know, little hurts. We look at our phone, we pick up our phone, right? Instead of going, oh, something about that just kind of just isn't sitting right with me. Because there's emotional labor required with that. So we don't want to do that with every stranger on the street. But we do want to do that with our inner five and our inner 15, for sure. Do we want to take a few questions before I was we... going to say, let's take questions. But I love that you brought in because it, it, it's we are going to the... You're organically, intuitively, as an oracle would, naturally going to the questions as I had them written. And that's exactly... Um, I was going to say, where are we going culturally with this inability to feel, this inability to dare to feel, um, where is it going to go? Um, and you started yeah, to I say... Yeah, I mean, the AI girlfriends, oh my gosh, you guys, it's like the youth. It's like it, 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 people just constantly not wanting to feel the truth of their experience and therefore climbing into other experiences, all the types of like filters on young girls. I mean, it's just... There's a beauty in the amount of technology that's available, and then it's also quite scary in what our humanity and where our humanity may get taken away. And, like, I want to think myself, when have I had a, struck up a conversation with a stranger in a public place, which I used to do all the time when I was younger, super confidently, and am I always on my phone and therefore not feeling the moment, the people around me, the opportunity for magic, for pleasure— the same with you. Like, do you feel comfortable asking someone out at a coffee shop? Or are you going to turn to your phone and try to find them on Instagram? You know, that's to me, that's us going backwards, right? We're like climbing into something instead of opening and going, oh, wow, I'm going to walk up to that person and be like, yo, I think you follow me. Or we had a DM, we had a text exchange once or a DM exchange once. How's it going? Woo! I mean, I definitely had moments like that in LA where I would be like, I totally had a full conversation with that person online and I don't want to go up to them and say hi. Yep. <laughs> right? That part. <laughs> that I'm part. Saying, but listen, saying. I have deleted all the apps. On the 31st, I said, enough. <laughs> I am not doing this anymore. I have not been with anyone for eight months, uh, January 31st. Um, my ex-partner and I broke up in, uh, in the summer and I was like in the dating apps, maybe like four, three, four months after we broke up, I was like, oh, maybe I should, I should meet somebody else. And then on the 31st, I said, no, enough with these fickle conversations, enough with this curated version of people. I want to see someone drinking their coffee with their, with their morning face on, whatever it is. I don't know. I want to, I, I want to meet a friend. I want to meet a friend of a friend. I want to be awkward at a party. I want to feel the feeling of seeing someone at a party or at a restaurant or in a subway or on the street and be like, oh, ooh, or just a have feeling. a vibe, you know, That's or just like have feeling. that vibe and then look back and be like, oh, bitch, looking back too. Oh, shit. Who's going to go walk up and say something? That is what I want. I want totally that 90s experience. music video. You know what I mean? Like 100. <laughs> I'm only missing the black eyeliner, you know? <laughs> Let's take a few questions because I'll probably have to end on time because of my baby. Go. No, okay. So if somebody has a question, well, we would love to take a few questions. You can use the little hand raise thingy. Great. Lee's got a question. Give it to us, baby. 
Hi. So I am definitely on the codependent side when it comes to like, I need to fix it. I need to fix it now. And I'm wondering, how do you discern what battles are worth fighting? Mm. And from that sort of space of, I want to fix it, I want to control it. How do you sort of turn inward first while still getting what you need outward? Mm. Great question. Kind of reminds me of one of our first fights, Saw, because <laughs> I remember sitting at um, a peace food cafe near Union Square in New York City, cute little vegan place, and Saw looking at me and saying, how do you know it's worth it to do this work together, to like have this hard conversation together? Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that, but wow, what a wise question that I asked. I'm glad. <laughs> Keep going. And I was like, you know, in a way you don't, right? In a way you don't, but you have to trust yourself to a certain degree of like, you can't do that deep work with everybody, right? It's like we talked about like that kind of core five or 15, but if you feel the depth of someone and that you feel like there's a connection and that it's worth it, then why not try, right? Why not try to have that deeper conversation with someone? However, if you have a tendency to do that with everybody, <laughs> then it's like, Ooh, what would it be like for me to not have that conversation? Unless it's with maybe like I keep saying like that inner circle, the people that I really um, need to, or unless it's really important for my evolution, let's say your boss or something says something that's really harmful and it's really important for you, for some part of your soul's journey to step into a difficult conversation, not because you want to be the best friend of your boss, but because you want to step forward and presence yourself or advocate for yourself. So that's really different than a hard conversation that would rupture, that would that would be a repair to a rupture or heal an intimacy and create more intimacy with like you and your best friend or a lover. Um, do you want to add to that, Sa? No, I think this is fantastic. <laughs> I just, I, I think I actually just, one thing that comes up for me too, it's like, are the, are you like, is after every fight, are you learning something about yourself? You know, I think this is when I realized that um, certain relationship patterns were toxic because they were repetitive, mm -hmm. you know, and the repetition creates the toxicity. But if the if if there is a rupture, but if there's something new about it, I'm walking away feeling like, oh, shit, I I got served the tea today. Um, in a really like in pop, like I went down because I made a mistake, but I I'm coming up because I learned something. Um, good. That's my only. That's what I would say. Yeah. But I but I think it's I think really focusing what Alexandra said. It's like you can't do this with everybody, and if we have the tendency to want to do this with everybody, um, then we're missing the point of being an empowered person. You know, and the or other wanting thing to I be special. Yeah. The other thing I would say. Um, Lee is, what was I going to say? Oh, if you're the one in the dynamics, that's always bringing the thing forward and always doing the emotional labor to hold back. Sometimes I've had to do that in some friendships where I'm like, okay, I'm the one who's always helping the cleanup happen, making sure it happens. 
So actually, I'm going to just be and I'm going to notice and I'm going to be uncomfortable. Okay, more questions. Somebody raise a hand. <laughs> more questions. Thank you, Jamie. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for this amazing talk. Um, my question is, I think coming off the back of Lee's amazing question about avoidance, how long is it self-responsibility of being able to move through the difficulty, the emotional um, complexity, the fears, the ancestral, the cultural, the societal, you know, um, complexities within ourselves before we actually know it's the right thing to raise the or initiate that that um, repair and rupture phase with within a relationship. And at what point is it becoming avoidant? If it's like a whole month, or is it you know mm. like what are what are your tips and um, studies and research and experiences? I love to hear that. Yeah, so I just want to make sure I'm getting the question. So basically, um, if there's an opportunity for a hard conversation or there's been some sort of a rupture or something happened, a conflict, how long is the timeline before it's like an unconscious avoidance? Like how long can you take a pause to sit with it and process it and be with it within yourself? Okay. Um, well, obviously there's not a hard and fast answer to this and you have to look at your own tendencies in a way. If you're harming someone, and this is hard, I, I have two really big ones around this that have happened in my life recently. If you're harming someone by taking space, then it's harder if they're really wanting you to not take space. But if you know that the, the remedy for you is that you have to take space because you usually, let's say you usually don't. You really always come in and fix it fast. And you know you got to sit with this one and take some space. It will create hurt and harm in the other person. And you have to be okay with that, right? I have done that with two of my deepest relationships in my life in the last two years. And they've been some of the hardest decisions to actually take some space. But the key is clear communication and kind communication. Just taking space without letting someone know is incredibly detrimental to any relationship. But telling someone, hey, I love you very much. We are just not getting to a place of repair. Like we keep trying and we just keep fighting or it just seems like we're not able to find each other and I need a time out. I need to sit with this. I need to look at my part within this. I need to look at my side of the street. And give them a timeline. I'm happy to get back to you and to touch base with you in a month. I'm happy to touch base with you in three months. Um, you know, make it very clear. I would like to reach out or please reach out to, you know, that type of respect and honoring of whatever the dynamic is, is still, is very important. Is it going to make it easier for that person? No, I have received a very angry and, and you know, hurt messages and emails when I have had to take space like this. But I have felt that certain dynamics that it's the best thing and that I needed to sit with my therapist or my mentor and process it and go, what is going on with this? Why am I not getting somewhere? What is happening within me? And that took time to be able to come into an awareness to then come back to the relationship and go, okay, here's what's going on on my side. 
What's going on with you? Does it mean a guaranteed repair for both parties? No. But I think the key is kind, conscious communication without blame. If they're staying in blame, great, that's fine. Take care of you. Just try to stay within that space. And then setting that clear boundary. This is more in kind of that therapeutic space, but setting that clear boundary with love. Um, and then if you're doing this with everyone in your life, then that's its own problem. <laughs> but if you're if you're like, wow, this is actually a huge edge for me. And I, I this is really hard for me. You can also say that this is really hard for me. But I know I need to take a little space, right? And then you have to actually do it. And that's the other piece to the equation. I want to add something real briefly. I remember when I was studying Kabbalah like 12, 13 years ago in New York City, <clears throat> they said, wait three days. The first day the fire is really hot. The second day it's slowing down a little bit. And the third day is off so you can speak. And then Rumi's three gates, you know, um, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? If mm. it passes those three gates, then speak. Oftentimes it is true, but is it necessary? No. Or sometimes it passes the true and necessary, yes, but is it kind? No. So pause, breathe, figure out the kind way to approach a hard conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just wanted those. to add that. Yeah. I love those. Yeah, and does it serve the relationship, Vicky? Yeah, it's like, does it is it going to create more love and intimacy, right? And so what I found in a particular friendship, it was like, well, I'm not being fully honest in this friendship, and I'm kind of walking on eggshells. So the more that I get clear and more honest, the more that we're actually going to feel each other and feel love, right? But it means that some dynamics have to sort of get picked and pulled apart here. But at the end, I hope that it's going to bring us closer together. So yeah, that's really important. There, there are quite a few of these types of stories in the book too. Um, I got to close out so that I go and nurse my little uh, sweet Lua Rose and um, but I just, I, I'm so happy to have this conversation with you. I feel like we just got going. Just keep going, going, going. <laughs> what do you want to leave us with? Leave us with a dare to feel boost. Or to feel yeah. boost. Yeah, uh, come on. I mean, you're like, I was hoping that you would read a little piece from the book for us today. I could, you're I such could a... read a I could okay. read a little something. Let's see. Okay, good. Yeah, a little okay, poem. Good. That's that's what I wanted it. Okay. Uh, that's gonna make me happy. Is it gonna make you all happy? I hope so. She's such a delicious uh, writer and, you know, you have such that voice. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I am a writer. Like I'm a writer in this space. I'm, you know, it's like I write my own stuff and I put my heart and soul into it, you know, because that's how I came from the artistic background first and foremost. So, okay. I just opened it to this page and this is the, the name of this story and chapter is when it feels safer to be alone so um this is the poem that's at the at the end of that story and chapter stay close to your heart even if it hurts stay raw and real even when it seems uncouth stay deep and true even if it makes you messy and strange stop playing it safe even if it is scarier to walk towards edges and cliffs. Make friends there. Catch ideas there. Be free there. Live full if you dare. 
you had this planned. You had this planned. Okay, go. Keep going. I was going to say, this is so fire. Oh, my God. There's more I didn't know. Okay. Because this is your chance today, now, not tomorrow, but here, now, blood, guts, glory, love flag waving in the wind. That's it. You wave your love flag in the wind. Beautiful. You know? Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you all for being here live. And if you're listening later, so glad that you're listening. Please go buy the book. I'm reading it live on, um, you know, Audible and wherever you get audiobooks. So that's fun. And it's like me telling you all these, these stories. Um, and the book is really a combination of stories and rituals and contemplations, writing prompts, um, poems. And um, yeah, it's got a lot of vulnerable, deep things that hopefully touch those vulnerable spots in you. Um, that only stories and art do, right? Like there's a particular touch that we get from hearing stories that I hope uh, activates your heart really deeply. And I want to add, um, as a friend supporting uh, someone coming out with a new book, buy two copies, buy three copies, buy your friend copies and or you know, read the book and get so moved by it and buy an extra copy and leave it at the airport bathroom or go oh, to your local church that. and drop it off there or go to your kid's school. I don't know. Everywhere you go to <laughs> a, the, 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 the bench at the dog park, leave a copy there. You know, um, it's really, really important that we um, share the book. Obviously, buy the audio too if you're if you want to listen but the copy of it it's such a delicious thing and don't lose sight of how how important it is for us to actually have a hard copy you know it's true. the more and more that we go into this technological space of being connected to screens all the time there will come a point where we talked briefly at the very beginning of the saturation being super overwhelmed with the amount of information a great way for you to unplug and co and self-regulate. It's not even co-regulation because it's not an automatic. It's not. There's nothing mechanical about it. Light up a, a turn on your lamp, sit on the couch, and open the book and just read how Alexandra did. The yeah. poems and stories in this book are gonna help you to to relax, to open your heart, to come back into your body. You know. And also, one thing I want to invite you all to do too is a book club. Get three or four or five friends and, and buy the copies of the book and all of you guys together read. You could spend an entire afternoon uh, breaking down this just this poem that Alexandra read to us in the end here, you mm. know, and then inviting everyone else in the group to, to um, write their own poetry based on what they're learning in the book. These yeah. are all great ways for you to stay artistic and also collaborate with the author herself to keep the mission of it growing. All right. Thank so you, important. Thank you. Yeah, I do think that reading and reading actual physical uh, books is really important for our brains. Um, and my my man and I do that a lot before bed. We read to each other. Um, and it's a lovely way to close the day as well, like to read out loud to someone in your life or on a train or on a plane or when you're hanging out with a friend. Right. Like 
it's that weird to hang out with a friend and like read together, but like, it's so, it's such a lovely activity, right? Like, what are we, what else are we doing? We're just gabbing or scrolling or something. So read a poem. If it's not my poem, read a Rumi poem or a Hafiz poem or, you know, read to each other. It's, it's important. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being in my, my inner five, you know, who I would do anything for and hmm. really appreciate your love and support for my art and my book and just walking this path together. We keep doing this for every book launch. So I'm just so happy that this is my life too. <laughs> you know, it's so reciprocal. It's so cool that we are, you know, coming out with books and this is what we do. And um, I'm so excited for you and for everyone to get a copy of this book and dive in. I love you very much. And to all of you, there to fucking here. feel. Thank you all for being here and being present and being in my, in my, another one of my circles, right? You're in my circles because I know who you are and like, I know your faces and like Saw said, that really means something in this modern day. Like it really does, even if it's through virtual community, but the fact that we can feel each other and know each other. So lots of love to everybody here. Have a great rest of your day or evening or morning, and we'll see you again soon. I could talk to Alexandra for hours. We have such good synergy as teachers. It's like, I mean, I don't know if you could hear, if you could feel that and hear that, or maybe I'm fully oblivious. I'm not. I know we do. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you will feel inspired to go buy her book and buy a copy for someone else and do as I said in the, in the, in the episode, write a little love note inside of the book and leave it somewhere that you wouldn't necessarily think about finding a book at. Anyways, Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And if you love the episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And also, I want to share that if you do review um, uh, the show, if you give us a five-star review, a five-star rating on review and rate to the show, um, on if you write a little review for us on Apple Podcasts and you take a screenshot and you send it um, to operations at sadisimone.com, operations at S-A-H-D-S-I-M-O-N-E.com. All of this information is in the show notes as well. You will be able to get my um, free guide to help you end imposter syndrome. Some people call it imposter syndrome, the witch wound, whatever you call it. I have felt it. Sometimes I still do. And I've put together a comprehensive and really powerful guide to help you end it. And if you may not end it, you're going to make friends with it, which is very important. And if you're listening on Spotify, then you can just click the five-star button and send us a screenshot to the same email, operations at sadesimon.com, and we will send you the free guide. So, love you, mean it. Peace. Okay, I'm calling on all the home bar enthusiasts right now. Are you ready to create a new kind of bar experience? One that's sober and filled with magic? Let's create a bar that goes beyond the ordinary, honey. And let's infuse it with the spirit of adventure, wellness, and connection. And listen, with that in mind, 
I need to share with you Anima Mundi's Apothecary and their wonderful brand new Elixir collection. When I saw that, I was like, honey, we got to share this with the community immediately. Even if you're not interested in becoming fully sober, you're sober curious, you just want to, you know, kind of try something different that's still going to make you feel good and sassy and delicious and be like, ooh, I like this, then this is for you. One of their elixirs that I adore, it's the Euphoria. It's composed of organic, wild-crafted, and ethically grown botanicals. It's like a, a potion for joy. And trust me when I tell you this, honey, for those of us who are on a sober journey, or if you are on a sober, curious journey, you're going to drink this, honey, and you're going to be like, ooh, girl, what's in this shit? But hey, honey, it's just a bunch of amazing, organically grown botanicals mixed together to give you that, ooh, I like this feeling. You know what I mean? And they have this Elixir Kit Barista Series. It is gorgeous, iconic, legendary. Buy it for your house or also buy it for a friend. That got to be a sweet friend, honey, because that that's going to require your, a little bit of more of an investment. You could also just get each of the elixirs by themselves, right? And it's an invitation for you to become a spiritual mocktail barista in the comfort of your own home. You know, trust me, you're going to love it. Your body is definitely going to love it. Your mind will thank you and your soul will be like, okay, honey, okay, lit. Listen, and I guarantee you that people that try these elixirs are going to be like, oh, what's going on, honey, over here? I mean, you got to find a recipe that works, but this is the base of it. It's delicious, amazing, and it's going to get you lit. Are you ready to unlock the magic of this elixir collection, honey? Head over to animamundiherbals.com. I'm going to try to spell that for you. A-N-I-M-A-M-U-N-D-I herbals.com. Herbals is spelled H-E-R-B-A. LS.com. Or instead of you listening to spell this, you know, trying to pass the spelling B over here, go to the link.